0: Hi everyone and welcome to episode 14 of the Judo Talk podcast. Judo talk talk. 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 Judo
1: talk talk. Judo talk talk.
0: Hey guys and welcome. Um, So actually when I was sorting out this uh, edition of the podcast I realised I labelled last week's podcast up as uh, number 14 Yeah it wasn't, it was number 13, this is number 14 Thankfully nobody else has noticed but it did annoy me when I saw it And I can't change the name of the episode now, but anyway, so today's a good day. Um, actually, I'm just about I'm trying to get this all finished just before I go and get my very first vaccination. Which, actually, to be honest, I'm quite looking forward to. The sooner we can get um, our lives back to normal, the better. The more we can get, uh, the quicker we can get judo back up and running as it was, the better, too. So, yeah, I'm yeah, can't wait to have my vaccination. Um, I, before we get into this podcast, actually, I wanted to just sort of tell you something that happened this week had a phone call uh, from a friend of mine and he just called me up he's been listening to the podcast and he said to me that he didn't particularly like last week's podcast well not he didn't like the podcast he didn't you know it wasn't he he thought the person who was on there uh, basically come across a bit too much and Um, He'd had experiences with the guy before, um, but ultimately, it made him really think about what he was doing, and he questioned whether he could do things better, and he looked at what he was doing, went back, and he did. He made decisions on what he could do better, what he could improve on and stuff, and I think my thought, along with these podcasts, and I've said all along, I think... You're not, you guys that are listening to this, you're not going to love every single one and you're not going to like every single guest, but it will create some some thought process and it'll make you like some of it. You'll go, Yeah, I really agree with that. I'd love to do this or, you know, Would like to do that. And some of it will make you go, Well, I don't agree with that. And the reasons why I don't agree with it is because of X, Y, Z. And for me, that's still good because. It doesn't matter that you don't agree. It just matters that we're having conversations around judo, and we're questioning what we are doing and what we can do. Moving on, and that's development. I think that's really good. Um, as I said last week, you know, there's lots of things that I agreed with in the approach, but there was also things that I didn't agree with. So yeah, it just it, I think it just helps us look at what we're doing and question: Well, are we doing it for the right reasons? If the answer is yes great carry on if the answer's no could we improve then we, we look at it and we get better as coaches and as judo players for that so yeah so no, it was good actually I, I I like it when people call me up and tell me things like that it's um it is interesting uh so this week um it's obviously, obviously been quite, uh, I noticed that quite a few of the subjects have been quite Cambly-focused and stuff, so I wanted to get uh, somebody in, um, somebody different. So this week it's Adam Hall, and Adam Hall's taken over from Jürgen Klinger as the head coach at Bath, and I just wanted to get his ideas, you know, what it's like down there, because um, there will be some people getting to the end of um, school either this year or next year, and thinking well where would I like to go you know would I like to try and do full-time and I thought it'd just be a good insight into what it's like for an athlete down in Bath. Um, I've got Two players that I worked with um, all the way through until they got to university age and they've gone down to Bath. They both really enjoy it. Um, So, yeah, I thought it'd be a great little conversation to have. So, yeah, so I hope you guys enjoy it or not, as the case might be in some cases. But, um, yeah, I'll speak to you guys at the end. Hey guys, welcome to this episode of Judo Talk. And today, my guest is Adam Hall. Say hello, Adam. Hi, everyone. (laughs) Thanks, mate. Uh, So, Adam. well, where I'd like to start is I'd like to start a little bit with your background around judo and then sort of to sort of transition how that sort of led you to your current role working in Bath, if that's all right.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um done a few notes actually just on a bit of a timeline, just so I don't get lost. <laughs> that's good. So, yeah. So started judo you know, when I was sort of like six or seven, around that age. Um and that was merely just through my dad took it up when he was sort of in his early 20s, so he came to it quite late. Um, but he sort of fell in love with the sport and was really keen. Um, my two older brothers did it for a fair bit. Some of my cousins did it. So it was just sort of a natural progression for me to do it. Um, stayed at sort of the same club um, up until I moved to Bath really, up until about the age of 19. But during that time, I'd visited other clubs in the Northeast. Um, so I started at the Renzi Can, visited places like the um, Kodakwai. Uh, it was run by uh, sort of Tommy Mice and, and Willard Scott, um, just nice guys. John Taney at the time, he was sort of the, the men's area coach for the Northern Area. Um, so it was, yeah, that sort of opened my eyes from the age of 15, just going to like different clubs and getting different opportunities to go out and compete and do the national teams, which was amazing. Um, yeah, really fond memories of doing that. Yeah. Um, Yeah, age 19, moved out to Bath um, to do sports performance. Um, Done that sort of foundation degree for a couple of years. Ended up going back home for about a year and a half. Came down to Bath and sort of beginning of 2011. And uh, yeah, stayed here.
0: So when you moved down to Bath, what sort of competition level were you fighting at? Did you go down to Bath for the judo or for the university?
1: So I, I I was really naive. So I finished sixth form. And then um, I got a job as a, a PE assistant or PE technician at my old high school. So Is that I the there person who year. sort of puts cones out and stuff? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I do all the... <laughs> but I got to sort of help out in in lessons and um, got to sit down on some of the sort of the theory stuff as well, sort of sort of get a little bit of classroom experience. But mainly, mainly yeah, just doing all the donkey work, set up the trampolines, set up the, the badminton coats and whatnot. Um my plan was I was going to save up over that year, move to Japan, get really good at judo, come back and, and whack everyone. <laughs> um, so then uh, I entered the Nationals. Um, so actually, yeah, entered the Nationals uh, in December 2006. Um, got a bronze in the, the juniors, whatever it was back then, under 20s or whatever it was and um, the fifth and the seniors and that's when a guy called Eddie Ferry who was still coaching at Durham University now uh, he introduced me to Mike Callan and that's how I found out about Bath because um, up until then I had no no real interest or drive to go to uni but then when I found out about Bath like oh I can go down there and actually do judo full-time and I just have to do a bit of education on the side um, I was like cool I'm sold so uh, yeah didn't go to Japan came to Bath instead uh, and
0: what was that like doing your foundation course alongside doing judo? Because for me, that wouldn't—I couldn't do that. That wouldn't have worked for me. And I'm always interested in that side.
1: It, it was a big learning curve, you know, a big steep curve. Just in terms of, you know, you're at home you're getting your cooking done for you, your washing done for you. You know, life's quite cushy, and then you come down and you've got to look after yourself and uh, and, and do the sort of increased volume of the training. Um, But the course itself was great in terms of how they try to structure the lectures around the training. So most sports would train roughly at the same times, just so the lectures could be sort of between, say, 12 and 2. And the lectures that were had were really good in saying, like, we realise that you've come straight from training, you're here for two hours to do a lecture, and then you're going back to training. So if you need to eat during the session, like, eat, that's fine and um, so that, that was that was great that was really sort of supportive and that really helped um but i didn't know anyone you know like I, i'd done most of my judo up in the you know the northeast done the odd competition here and there so it's not like i had like a big social circle within judo across britain so when i came down here i was literally on my Todd. um but yeah, the group at the time was lovely. Sort of. They had like a buddy system. You got put with someone, they'd sort of take you under the wing a little bit, like a more senior player. And they would just sort of check in and help look after the, the freshers. Um, and we sort of try to continue that a bit. We've got more sort of team captains. we sort of encourage them there, especially the younger players, to sort of chat to the older ones if they don't feel comfortable chatting to the coaches. So.
0: Yeah, that's um, really good actually because there's two players that uh, used to work with me at Cambly have moved down to Bath. And actually, I was speaking to one of them the other day and he actually said he feels like there's a really good community spirit in there. You know, and like I've talked to the players before about, you know, if they want to go to university and stuff, stick with their judo because they'll have a social group to fall into because judo players are pretty good like that, aren't they, generally?
1: Yeah, yeah. It's nice to hear that feedback as well. because You know, they're not necessarily going to be really forthcoming and telling us as the coaches that, so it's great to sort of get that information coming back round. Um, but yeah we, we've for, for Bath you know we encourage players to to stay in education if that's the right move for them um, just because you've, you've got to have something to move into after judo so that's a big philosophy that that was here when I came down and it's sort of philosophy that I sort of continue and try and push um, but to be part of the training group here you don't have to be at uni you don't you know I've had players that younger players that were sort of studying at the college rather than going to sixth form and they were coming up here and um, had people that were studying at other universities say over in bristol or the the other uni in bath bath spa and were traveling in or some people that just it wasn't the right move for them and they were looking at just getting a job and training around work Mm.
0: and sorry i i didn't actually realize there was a second uni there Uh, i didn't realize there were two unis in bath but with when you moved down on the foundation course and you you were training how did you find because i've trained at bath a bit and it's a massive university and the sports complexity is really good. But how did you manage the distractions of university?
1: <laughs> uh, I enjoyed Freshers' Week. <laughs> <laughs> I had that. Um, but I was, I was just really keen. I was really keen for the judo side. So if anything, um, I remember one lecture talking about it. It's almost like three points of a triangle. So, you know, one point, you, you chosen sport, you sport and focus. Um, another point of the triangle is you sort of get education, and the other point of the triangle is like the social side you know, your sort of life outside of your sport and outside of your education, and trying to keep those three things in a balance is difficult. Um, for me, I sort of was really keen on the social side and really keen on the judo side, and sort of let, let the education side slip a bit. Um, so yeah, sort of from, from my sort of mistakes or letdowns, I really try and give encourage the players I'm working with and sort of stick at it. People. do you feel
0: like actually though it helped you because you did have the um stimulus of the education side but also it wasn't just that you could speak so what I'm trying to say is when I was full-time the only people I really could speak to were judo people do you feel actually going away and speaking to the lecturers or you know people involved in different areas not even keen on judo do you think that actually helped you keep some sort of perspective
1: uh, yeah like What we tend to find is is, um, first years, you know, this is sort of really broadly speaking, but first years will be on campus. So, you know, you'll you'll be in people you've never met before in sort of mixed houses, mixed accommodation. And then second year, they might move in with some of the judo lot and some of their their former housemates or people off their course. And then third year, they tend to move house again and be with people that are completely outside of so rather than the social circle being fixed on judo the whole time, sort of gradually over the years, it sort of opens up. Mm. Um, so judo is just one part of their life. Hopefully it's an important part, but it, it's not everything, um, which I think is important. You know, I've, I've heard some of the other athletes um, that I trained with, they say like they used to look at their studies as a break and their, their course mates as a break from judo. And obviously judo break from that. Mm. So one, one can help the other. Um I think just having a broader social circle, especially if you're moving away from home. Like for me, I, you know, I was the only sort of member of my family that moves far away. Everyone else lives in about a three mile radius of everyone else. Mm-hmm. So it was a big shock to me to move like, you know, 300 miles down south, not know anyone. So it, it definitely did help with that. You know, having the dual side, having 60 athletes on the course that you're studying all from different backgrounds or from different sports. And yeah, you just sort of get on with it.
0: Yeah. And so now, what what's your official
1: uh, role now at Bath? So now, I'm, um, I was fortunate enough to get the head position. Um, so I officially started that in February 2020. And then lockdown hit a month later.
0: <laughs> so That must have been quite weird. How did that sort of pan out then when, you know, you started your job and then stopped your job? Like, what happened there?
1: Um... Well, if I sort of back up a little bit, so, so when I moved back down here in 2011, um, so sort of working and trading, so some of the some of the, the work I was doing to sort of like survive I was actually coaching the community club, like doing the kids club and um, doing the students club here um, because I'd already had my level two from sort of getting a bit of coaching in up north. So one of the clubs up there supported us. Um, and sort of that's where I sort of cut my teeth on coaching, sort of pay my dues a little bit. Um, from there, because you know, I'm a bit of coaching, which wasn't enough to sort of pay everything that I needed to pay, so sort of work in the doors and doing other odd jobs and stuff like that. Um, it just, it was fine for a couple of years, but it just wasn't sustainable.
0: Mm.
1: You know, having a at one point I was doing substitute work as a TA in a school, you know over the school day in a primary school but then because it was just substitute work and it wasn't full-time i still had to keep the door work so then, trying to fit in training around that i was getting the sessions in but i was always just tired Um so yeah it, it wasn't sustainable so i went for a um, full-time day job just at a school not too far from the uni got that and um, that sort of settled into more of a routine and um, that allowed me to step back from some of the younger members in the training group that were training full-time so there was that sort of like natural, natural bit of space, that natural gap. So they'd see me a, a few times a week when I was coming for the evening randori sessions and whatnot, or during the school holidays when I'd be in full time. But really they wouldn't see me for the conditioning stuff because I was doing that before work and after work. Hmm. So when the assistant's job came up, um I went for that, got it. And then and, yeah, it, and so when you
0: were assistant, you were working with Jürgen, weren't you? Jürgen Klinger. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And how was Uh, that? Because I've worked with him a little bit um, just through British squads and stuff, and obviously coming down training. And I really, the the limited exposure I had with him, uh, like we went out to Germany to do a camp and stuff, I really enjoyed working with him. Like, what was he like for you? Did you you learn a lot? What was the process working with him?
1: Well, I was, yeah, I I learned a lot from him, loads from him, him and and his his wife, Sandra Klinger, you know, top coach, right? Um, for me, I, I looked at it almost like an unofficial apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. When I was, you know, doing the kids club, doing the sort of the recreation club, would be away on training camps, you know, as part of my training. Um, and, I, you know, would finish our session. I'd get there before the senior session was due to start just to watch like the kids sessions wherever we were. So that might be out in Germany or if I was out in South America. Um, you know, Javi that has come along and, and watched some of the sort of the sessions we've done with like sort of chilling cadets. When I was out in Japan, I just stayed after some of the sessions at Scuba and watched. Um, so we're able to have the sort of like these chats and break stuff down and just like these really informal conversations, but it really helped me sort of form my philosophy before I really needed the sort of coaching philosophy in the first place. Um, so I think a lot of the groundwork was done before I even went to the assistant's job. And, mm. um, then when I got that, then it was great. It was just sort of, he was quite happy just to give me re- some more responsibility. He let me do some planning, you know, in his words, to learn by doing, mm. you know, if I made a mistake, he was quite, like he wanted to sort of make mistakes so I would learn from it and we could chat about it. Um, he was completely different as sort of a line manager and mentor in terms of coaching like that than what it was sort of as a coach-athlete relationship. Completely different.
0: How was how it different?
1: Sometimes when I was a player, I absolutely hated him. <laughs> I, think, I
0: think there's a point when you're a player and you're in the thick of it, you get that at
1: some point, don't you? Yeah. Um, which, you know, completely normal. But then, like I said, as a line manager, as a coach and mentor, yeah, spot on, completely brilliant. Like I, can't, I can't say enough in terms of the support I had, the opportunities I had. You know, he was the one that pushed me to do, to, to, to do the, the MSC, which I started in 2018. So I came in, in the assistant's role, but then, you know, September that year, I was sort of on my way up to Sheffield to start that part-time. Mm. Yeah. Again, coming back to his philosophy, like, you know, con- you know, trying to constantly sort of better yourself, like do it through education, learn by doing, you know, just, just get on with it, just do it.
0: Yeah, I think I, I can definitely relate to that. Because I know, I know when I started coaching properly when I was, you know, 23, 24, I was really... I was adamant I knew everything right, about you. I was really confident in my ability. I thought that. And I remember Luke sort of just allowed me to believe it, but he also... Then really like he helped me understand that I did I knew nothing. (laughs) You know, like he didn't he didn't like try and squash me and say, Vince, you know, nothing at this point. He allowed me to sort of go out, make a load of mistakes, and then when I would go back to him, sort of my tail between my legs, saying this or that, he would then go, Well, what do you think about this? Which I think worked really, really well.
1: Mm. Well, it it just gets you to reflect, you know, gets you to reflect and review the, the stuff you've done. Like you know, some of the sessions I was taking, see if, see if he had done the planning. So within this block, we want to be working on this outcome. But if I was taking the session, it would be like, well, you can do whatever you want as long as it relates to this outcome. And then I'd do the session sometimes, then we'd, we'd have a chat after, and almost also have to explain myself in terms of how it actually fitted in with with the outcome, you know, how, how did the session I did sort of promote those those outcomes and sort of push things forward. Um, yeah, I, th- I think always being able to explain yourself, n- not just to uh, the people you're working with, but um, not just in terms of the coaches you're working with, but in terms of the athletes as well. If they know why they're doing something, hopefully they're going to be a bit more invested in, to do it.
0: Mm.
1: Rather than, just, oh, I think it's good and you should just do it because I say so and I'm the coach. Like, I think there always needs to be a rationale there and, and there's a, a why.
0: Yeah, and I suppose as well, uh, a correction if you got it wrong.
1: Yeah. yeah. Which is,
0: you know, which you do, <laughs> don't you? You do get it wrong.
1: <laughs> yeah, but there's some, you know, there's some things I've tried in a session where in my head I thought it would work on paper. It looks as though it should work. You put it in practice, it's just, it's like, oh my Lord, I've never touched that again. <laughs> yeah, better up for a different way to train that. Well,
0: that's the thing, isn't it? And that's, a, you know, I, I've been really fortunate in the fact that, like, say in 2019, I'd done... I think I worked out I taught 850 classes in 2019 and that's not going to competitions or training camps so the sheer volume of one year doing that many classes and the advantage I had is whenever I'd done a bad session I could very quickly do another session so there wasn't any time to sort of manifest on and think about it you could sort of go well that definitely didn't work let's forget about that let's go again and I think actually having a lot of volume at the beginning really, really helps with your confidence and your ability to adjust.
1: I think for me that like, if I think back to, you know, working under Jürgen and do mistakes like that, it tended to be like part of the session rather than like the whole session was a, you know, a complete mess. Um, so I think having those years beforehand of doing the kids clubs, doing the, you know, even up in Ashington, up at, you know, this is sort of like little miners town where I first sort of got started and done my, my level two, um, done the kids club and the senior club there. Like those sort of first of initial mistakes you might make, I think I sort of over them a lot. Um, and then coming down and run the kids club down here and the students club down here. Yeah, same sort of thing. So it, it tended to be that if I made a mistake, it was just because I tried something, Like I said, it seemed to work well on paper, but in practice, it just didn't work. So, sort of back to the drawing board and and think of a new way to try and get that that point across or that principle across. But you're right in what you're saying. Like, you know, you've just got to sort of take it. Why didn't it work? Why did you think it should have worked? Review it back on because it's just like a constant evolving process, isn't it? Mm. It's not, it's like when I've heard teachers talk and um, one of the schools I was working at down the road. Was guy that had been at that school for years really experienced teacher he would quite happily have the more sort of like challenging classes if you could even call it that but he'd have them eaten out the palm of his hand and it was just from just like you're talking about sheer volume of, of the lessons he's taught just the experience him looking back and reviewing and being able to look at the pupils he's teaching in a different way mm. you know i'd sort of teach the the individual pupil, and then when we look at the coaching, you are trying to teach the athlete in front of you or coach the athlete in front of you, you're not trying to sort of do a one size fits all approach. Um, there was another thing he said, like, you tend to get teachers, and I, I guess it's the same for coaching. You know, you might have coaches that have done like 20 30 years in the job, but they might coach one year 30 times mm. as a coach like 30 years, 30 uh, one time, if you know what I mean, mm. like, sort of right, like constantly adapting their process and like trying to bring new things in, take things out and sort of go move with the times a little bit. I
0: suppose this can be a tricky question, really. But when you are thinking about everything that you've done with your your Level 2s, your Level 3, moving for your coaching degree, how much do you think, how important do you think the real-world experience of working with Jürgen actually has formed your education around coaching compared to just doing you know your bit as an athlete and then doing the coaching courses how important do you think that bit working with Jürgen is
1: like I said I, I sort of viewed it as a as like un, an unofficial apprenticeship you know you you're there with someone that you can and this is even before I started as the assistance role like I said I'd come off the mat after the kids session and talk about stuff bounce problems off each other Having a more experienced coach there to sort of talk things through, it's massive. It's a bit like, you know, you can sort of look at it as, when I mentioned about when I first came down to Bath as a player and sort of have been sort of put with a more experienced player. For them, to sort of take you under your wing a little bit and just, just help you out. Similar sort of thing, really, with the coaching. You know, you can... I'm sure as players, we've all sort of looked around at the more experienced players on the mat or the more successful players and try to pick up little bits and pieces off them. the same thing with coaching, you know, constantly sort of of nicking ideas off other coaches. Like during lockdown, what's what's really been beneficial is um, like myself, Tom and uh, Darren Warner and Mark Earl, they're sort of over in Wales um, and Andy Burns, just sort of all on the chat. And at one point we were having sort of, sort of these sort of forums just once a week, you know, one of us would present a topic or a subject and then we'd sort of have a Chat about that, so trying to keep that going. And for me, it was just really good just to learn from other experienced coaches, other people have been there and done it, um, and just seeing if they've got a completely different view to the view that Jurgen had.
0: Hmm. I found actually, I had quite a few of my breakthrough sessions um, when it comes to sort of understanding around judo, actually, sat having a coffee or like going for a walk or if it were, you know, or having a beer with the coach, you know, and it was that, those were the times where actually things really made sense because I find when you're on the mat with coaches, because you're still, they're still delivering content to the, the people for their judo classes. They can't really go into the why all the time, but when you're sat down and having a conversation with them, it might be the fact that they go back to a previous experience of, you know, something that they had learned or a mistake that he had made. And that's why, they do it differently now and that's where I always found I made the biggest steps forwards within my own understanding of judo in those those times
1: yeah like I said those informal moments like again being on a training camp you know got some nice, good memories of being in in Japan doing the training and then at night time going out for a meal going for a beer after chatting through things and just sort of Again, going go going along your merry way you know how the conversation evolves not just chatting about the session itself but chatting about you know this country system how, how it might work what are the pitfalls of it or what we think the pitfalls of it are how is it how is it really beneficial how does it work and then comparing that against other systems in other countries you know just just having those really sort of conversations try and sort of expand your view a little bit mm. it all helps so
0: I'm presuming that we're, you're hoping for everything to come back in September now for, for the athletes to come back. Is that your plan?
1: Um, so, we've, you know, we've managed to keep a lot of the athletes taking over in terms you know, haven't been able to do any contacts. I have been, you know, even the ones with given an exemption, they've been able to do a limited amount of contact training in the week. That's only been since March.
0: Mm.
1: So they've all had at least a year away from the mat. So we will try to keep them over with, in the first lockdown anyway when everyone was sort of really keen to keep doing stuff, had teams and would set daft challenges through the week, you know some of them were fitness related, some of them were like chosen by the players, um, we had uh, one of the dance teachers that would come in and do a little some dance sessions normally on the mat doing a dance class, as just some sort of coordination work, having her set. Have you got team, any videos of those? I've got loads. Did you do, Did you take part? <laughs>
0: Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I wish
1: I could see those ones. But um, trying to keep that engagement, um, which everyone was really down for, them and you know, points awarded, this, that, and the other, um, and then it sort of just naturally tailed off. You know, they're not known of when it was going to end and how it was going to pan out. You know, like last October, we got back into the swing of things. You know, we're back in the STV, we're back lifting. Sort of building that physical foundation again, and then five weeks in, it was like, "I'm back we we'll go." Um So really, we've, we've got to hang on to the 21st of June. Hopefully, nothing gets pushed back any further. I might actually come back again. You know, i have had the players in the gym doing strength training a few times a week. Got them out by themselves doing a bit of conditioning. It was the can't sort of access the mat at all. Um, but really, we're not going to go know the extent of it until we we'll see everyone on the mat.
0: Hmm. Yeah. So, just for anybody who's unsure, so basically, with Bath, you are a full-time judo centre. But with the whole COVID thing, there's only one centre in the country that was given elite status, weren't they? So Warsaw's was the only place where the athletes could play, uh, could train. So unless they were there, they couldn't do anything, could they? No, no.
1: Like I said, the, the England sessions helped a little bit, but again, it, it, it's only been since March this year, yeah. so it's it, it's been a big hit. You know, especially for the younger players coming in, you know, some of them got like a year's full-time training under the belt. They really start to feel as though they are making some progress. And then, yeah, it's just put the brakes on everything. Um, some of the, the more experienced players, the older players that are part of the, the training group here, you know, Prisca, Megan, Ben, it's had a massive impact on them in terms of the games being postponed, how, how they've adapted to that. You know, you've had Ben on the podcast before. He's been talking about his, you know, his own sort of personal situation, how he's dealing with that as well. So it's yeah, there's a broad spectrum of how this has affected the players, whether they're at the sort of more the beginning of the career in terms of full time training or more towards the back end.
0: I suppose as a coach, then that also then. Makes it hard for you because you're having to deal with, say, thirty different athletes, all with individual needs and at different points of their progression. So you've still got to manage their expectations.
1: Well, you know, Jurgen's still firmly with with Meg and Ben. Although he sort of uh, retired from Team Bath, he's sort of still, you know, he's like an Irish coach. You know, how how Luke's still working a lot with with Nathan. Um So he's, he's hanging had... on
0: to the glory, isn't he? He's keeping all of that. Just
1: definitely. <laughs> No, I, th- I think, I think it, it's right. You know, they've, they've had such a long time working together. I think it's, it's great. It's great that the, the you know, because you moved back out of Germany because Sandra got a job out there. And I I just think it's really commendable that, you know, you've done that many years with an athlete, but, you know, you still willing to sort of go the distance with them and stick with, stick with them right to the end. Mm. Um, yeah. So sort of just testament to the, the kind of guy he is. Um
0: so when um, so let's say September, we've got the green light, we're, we're all able to get back and start you know, getting back to normal. Um, how does that then look for you? Okay, so let, let's work on the assumption that the, all of your athletes can move back to Bath, they're back in uni. What's, the, what's your process then? What are you aiming to do?
1: Well, I'm, I'm hoping if we get back, for those that are still in Bath, if we get back by the 21st of June... That'll give us before the summer, you know, ahead of the ones joining sort of September time, that'll give us a bit of a snapshot, mm. sort of idea of how people are looking on the map.
0: And so sorry, yeah. just so Bath as a as a judo center that operates all year round, unlike the university, yeah?
1: Oh yeah, well yeah. Okay. Like all the all year round we don't stop for summer. Like you know, we're not we don't, you know, I'm not saying the players don't go home for the summer, you know, don't go home and see your family. But it's like don't go home for three months. <laughs> like You've got two days. Have, yeah, yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Don't, don't have 12 weeks at home for the summer, I think, and that you're going to come back in tip-top shape. Like, you know, go home for a couple of weeks at the start or a couple of weeks in the middle or, or maybe, maybe sort of do it as bookends, maybe do it at the start of the summer and towards the back end if, as best you can. But but yeah, as a programme, we run right, right the way through. You know, the only time we really have downtime is normally after the British Nationals. Mm. You know, have a social go out for a nice meal and whatnot. And then, you know, everyone sort of, sort of disappears and goes home for the Christmas. Try and keep everyone ticking over just just to really reduce sort of volume. You Try. Know, just,
0: it's all you can yeah. do,
1: really. It's in, the, it's in the hands of the players. Yeah. It's, you know, as, I, as I've tried to say to players, don't just sit on the sofa and do nothing. Like, at least go out for like a run or two, go out for, like, do a couple of circuits, pop in at your local club if it's still got a couple of sessions on over new year and stuff. Just, like, just don't do nothing for, like, two, three weeks. Like, keep yourself ticking over. Um, Yeah, because when they get that fit, if you you have, like, sort of three weeks off doing completely nothing, like, you definitely feel it when you get back on the mat.
0: Mm. Well, it's not just your fitness, is it? It's your timing. It's just everything that goes along with it, isn't it? It's not, it's just not the fact that... I think that's... Go
1: That's going to be the biggest case in September. Let's come back to your original question. Because if we've got players that have been here, you know, some have been back on the map, a small amount. So they've had that time and coming back a little bit. We've got more players that hopefully will be coming back on the back end of June. And then you've got maybe the, you know, the new guys and girls that are joining sort of September, October time. So you've almost got like three different groups there. And it's how do you manage. The timing and the conditioning for everyone off the mat, you, that's easy. You can do that. You can give them like different sessions and whatnot. But on the mat, how, you know, especially with if this partner's 73 kilos and that partner 73 kilos, it obviously makes sense that they train together. But if this person's been back on a little bit since June and this person's just come in, in in September, what's the sort of impact of that? How are we going to deal with really just reducing the risk of injury? You know, given those that have been back longer enough of an overload and a stimulus that the feel they're still progressing and getting ready for competitions but those coming in September that yeah they're not getting tired too quickly and then under fatigue they're going to make a mistake they either injure themselves that injure the trading partners a Little will tricky we'll
0: manage mm. and with your role within um Bath how do you start setting out the programs what because obviously there's going to be certain tournaments that can only be led by British Judo. Where, how do you plan for what you're able to deliver with them?
1: Um, so you know, not every player that's at bath is, is British. So that that sort of opens up another avenue. You know, so we've got a, a young lad that's come in um, to represent the Cyprus. I'm sure he's gonna I'm sure he's gonna do well if he keeps training the way he's training and keeps doing what he's doing. Um, so with him, it's going to be a completely different plan to what it might be with the British, the British players. Um, but normally for the British, we work backwards. You know, look at the event that we want to do well at. Which nine out of ten of them, it's going to be the British British Championships. We work back from there. You know what's what's going to help them prepare for that. And um, that normally takes us to the summer, and then we're back from that really. So before we do like a summer conditioning block. Um, what tournaments so are around there that we'd normally want to peak for? I normally sort of want to want to drop them in abroad so they get that exposure and get stretched, mm. and then just just work back from there again, which normally takes you to January, and sort of coming back in after like a few weeks of downtime over the sort of Christmas and New Year. Um, so, so generally we do more of a, like a, a linear approach with the periodization um, and go for you know, sort of two peaks in the air if you can really call it that. Yeah. We tend to try and use, well, my plan was to use the British uh, University Championships as sort of a stepping stone, you know, because as Bath, you know, we've got a lot of players here that are training full-time. You know, I expect them to do well, and the university expects us as a programme to do well at, at that competition. Um, so off the back of that, use that momentum to sort of get them to go abroad a little bit more, get them to do more competitions and more camps and just, just get more exposure. Um Organising that, we try and do it or try and explain to the players of when when we should look to normally do that. Because, you know, the students, you know, if they're training and studying, they haven't got a lot of time to work. So generally speaking, they haven't got a lot of money. So we need to try and help advise them on which camps would be better for them in terms of getting value for money. You know, rather than doing a, a training camp three months out from a major tournament and then they've got nothing on after that training camp, is it really worth doing it if it means the miss out on the training camp that's sort of three, four weeks, two weeks before major championships for them, you know, the British, for instance.
0: And um, so are they solely in charge of sort of booking, paying, and all that sort of side of it, or do you help, or is there somebody that helps with that?
1: No, it's it's down to them as the players, you know, it, it's their money, or if they're getting if they're lucky enough to get help from the bank of mum and dad and whatnot, you know, it, it's up to them. We're really trying to promote them to be independent. Yes, we'll we'll have a plan. We'll have an ideal plan if if they had the money to do it. And then off the back of that, we tend to just try and have more one-on-one conversations. You know, what's realistic for that player? You know, what is it that can afford? You know, is it at the right time of the year? Have they got exams coming up for obviously the the degree? If that's the case, then then they need a little bit less time training, a little bit more time to focus on getting those exams done because they're going to be really stressed. Um. But initially, we're really trying to push them to do it. You know, we're promoting independence, we're promoting self-organisation, self-discipline. So if, if they haven't bothered to sort of book their flights and whatnot, then they're going to miss out on the opportunity.
0: And what resources do you have um, through the university? Do you get help with, um, like, the SNC programs And, you know, what's the facilities like that you're able to access for the, for the athletes?
1: So... Um, we just look at pre-covid on a normal week so we, we do get we get a lot of help from the money from the university the university invests a fair bit of money into the judo program to help us essentially pay for support from the s and c department from the physio department um you know we've got access to a sports psychologist we've got limited access to um sports massage nutrition workshops you know we have got access for that again it's just trying to find the, the best bang for a buck um so we'll work with an SNC coach. They'll develop the programme and uh, what we're aiming for in that time. And we tend to have sort of staff meetings about once a week, you know, meet upstairs in the calf for, you know, half an hour, 45 minutes, have a look at the next training block that's coming up, any sort of concerns around players, if, you know, I've got an injury or if the wellness scores aren't great. And, you know, it's sort of, it is a collaborative approach, but... I think it's got to be led from the sports coach. If you're spending the most time with them and if you're the one sort of writing the programme in terms of, look, we're building for this competition, what do I need in, in certain training blocks? You know, when do I need a good endurance base? When do I need a good max strength base, for instance? Um, but yeah, we have access to, to other departments and other services. If the players are lucky enough to be on task, then it means they get a bit of coverage with their, uh, you know, if they get injured in terms of medical, medical coverage, um, and they get extra access to sort of lifestyle support and, and sports psych, they might get a bit more sort of one-on-one support with that.
0: Mm. And how do you find, as a head coach, trying to manage all of those different aspects, you know, because the S&C and all of those bits, because there will be players that will go to you and say, uh, oh, yeah, I really need to see this person at this point, and maybe you don't think that's right. You know, how do you manage dealing with... All the opportunities that you can give them, and making sure that's
1: right for them. No, normally, it's the other way around. Normally, it's a case of like, oh, I think it might be good if. Have you ever thought about having a chat with the sports psych and trying to get a few sort of sessions booked in with uh, with James Landon, we're a sports psychologist at Bath. Um, yeah, normally it's done that way around. So I think as a player, you're focused on, you know, focused on doing your judo and your training, focused on doing your education or any part time work you've got alongside that. You're not necessarily thinking about oh, what support services definitely need. Hmm. You know, they're on task, they're required to attend so many sports site workshops or lifestyle management workshops, so they should be attending those anyway. Um, that's kind of one of my pet peeves. If they're on task, now, they're getting those opportunities and not taking them. Like, that really sort of gets my back up. You know, especially players that are, there's not a stack of opportunities at the minute for players. So if you're getting those those little nuggets, really, you should be really using them. And if you're not, then maybe that those opportunities should be good to someone else.
0: And how do you encourage that? Because, you know, as you said, sometimes it's not easy to get them to do it. What, what, how you look? How do you work with the player to sort of do those little bits that they're not necessarily that keen on?
1: Um, again, all you can do is encourage them or have a firm chat. <laughs> you know, you're limited because at the end of the day, it is their choice. You know, they will be getting sort of um, you know, the contact person for TAS at the uni, they'll be in contact. No doubt the task person for British Judo will be in contact as well because the sort of a database and the register that, you know, it'll show up how many sessions they've did. Um, yeah, and if it gets taken off them, then it gets taken off them and it's just, it, it's about accountability. Mm. You know, if they're not using those opportunities, then it's, it is down to them. It's their responsibility. Um, all we can do is encourage them. Yeah,
0: and now, um, so Tom's now assistant coach, isn't he? Tom Reed. Yeah. And did he did he start the same time as you? Did that all come in together?
1: It, it worked really nicely. Um, so I started as the assistant coach in twenty eighteen. Um, at the back end of twenty nineteen, that's when the head job came up. Mm. Um, So I was fortunate enough to get that. And then the uni was good enough to let Tom start a bit earlier. So rather than waiting for me to jump fully into that role, I was sort of still the assistant. And it's almost like he came on as like another assistant
0: Mm.
1: as Jürgen was sort of getting ready to step out um, at the beginning of February the following year. So for a short amount of time, there was actually three three of us there. Um, So from my perspective and working there it was a really sm- sort of smooth transition mm. but I'm sure the players as well it was it was a much smoother transition as well they could see like all three coaches are working well and then you know as one person's coming in all there and then the next person sort of sliding out because um, that was something I was really conscious of especially transitioning from part of the training group to part of the coach and staff you know some of the training group were at Bath before I was You know, the the training there. Um, And you have sort of personal relationships to those people. So, again, it's like, how do you manage that? Um, You know, Ben, for instance, in the same weight category, competing against each other, never beat him, swine. Um, But then how, how do you go from as being in that training group to then being on the coaching staff? Like, how do you deal with that? For Ben, it was an absolute dream. It was just like having a chat, just, you know, He'd come and ask me my opinion, or I share a thought and ask him a question, but I try to sort of put myself more with the less experienced and younger players because then it allowed Jurgen to work with the more experienced players as well. Um, that, that was my approach anyway. Um, but that, that was sort of tricky to manage at times,
0: yeah. And how is it working with Tom? Because obviously, you, uh, I'm guessing you both trained together at Bath, and you know, as he, he. Moved was it Dubai or Abu Dhabi? Was it
1: Dubai? Yeah, yeah, so it's, he 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 went out there. He went out to uh Dubai and um, for a couple of years, sort of
0: getting a tan and stuff. <laughs>
1: um, yeah, big big money job, and then uh, came back. His passion was coaching. He came back. Uh, I got the head job. He came as the assistant. Um, so he puts the cones well, out for you. <laughs> he now puts the codes out for you. Not quite. We uh, um I, I think it's like that's who I wanted me as as the assistant coach, you know, I've got to sort of be on the panel um when it comes to that role, just to sort of, you know, sort of give my opinion on who I'd like to work with more. Um I think his judo background in terms of even if we look at competition styles, he was more of a well, he's left-handed for a start and right-handed. So already there's, there's slight differences in our approaches of how I might deal with the opposite side or same side um, just because he would probably come across more righties than he did lefties. So he's probably naturally more suited to explain strategies on against the opposite side, hmm. whereas was more likely to come, against, come up against more right-handed players. So I've probably got maybe a little bit more input on fighting against the same side. Um selection of my competition techniques you know I was more of a Uchimata O Soto kind of guy he's you know Aggie, so straight away we're sort of already sort of complementing each other's sort of weaknesses a little bit mm. um, and he's he's leading dice so we're, we're also one of the, the delivery sites for dice so it's Diploma in Sport and Excellence um, that's for judo athletes between the age of 16 and 18 if they're in England um, so the start when they're 16, so for most players that'll be when they're moving into sixth form in year 12. We we'll start that. Um, we run it for two years. We predominantly do it via residential camps. Um, we do have a full time route, but that only really works if you you know, geographically if you're really close to Bath and you can get in every day.
0: Yeah.
1: So the the camp route's definitely the more popular one. But um, yeah, Tom's taken that and ran with it. You know, especially during COVID, the challenges he's had has just come into the role to, to lead that, and the recruitment that we had last year was fantastic. Um, the engagement, we had, sadly, we had a couple of people drop out, um, sort of left judo a little bit as well, which is sad, but generally speaking, the, the, engage, the engagement from, from that group has been fantastic under the circumstances.
0: And do you think it helps with Tom coming from Bath as well? Like you both have a shared, vi- like you know how it's been done before. You've got the vision together. That shared reality of what you think it could be, and that actually helps you.
1: I think yeah, with both sort of coming, sort of come from training underneath Jurgen, um, I think we do have a lot of sort of the, the same core values. You know, looking at the person as a whole, making sure that they're not just doing judo, they need to be doing something else alongside it because, you know, we know that for, for most people, 99% of people, judo's not going to pay the bills. Mm. You know, it is, it's only going to do that for a short space of time, when, you know, unless you're coaching. Um, so I think there's, there's certain core things there that we're definitely sort of in sync on. And actually, as we'll find it out, when we're doing like little bits of timing sessions, we're naturally just on the same wavelength. So it, it's been so easy. It, it's been, yeah, it's been strange how easy it's been working with Tom. Again, because we're from the same training group as well. So going from that same training group dynamic where he was the more experienced player, I was a less experienced player for a lot of years, to now me end up as the head head role, he's got the assistance role. Um, but he's doing a lot more work with uh, Prisca. So hopefully if everything goes well, he'll be out with the Worlds. World Championships for Preska uh, beginning of June, and then hopefully uh, on to Tokyo for for him and her.
0: Mm. That's cool. And do you feel a little bit like um, you were you were supercharged? You have all this energy that you're just about to start your new role, and then all of a sudden COVID. Like, how have you coped with that? And because I imagine like I'd be foaming at the bit to get ready. And
1: well, um so the back end of 2019, Jurgen was still there, but he purposely didn't. To the British Championships because he's like actually you two should go so it's a really got opportunity to sort of present yourselves as like the new coaching lineup at Bath without mm. him being there. This is what it's going to look like going forward. Um, I think you just wanted the weekend off. <laughs> oh yeah, and definitely, definitely did. <laughs> but that's
0: a great that's great coach there, isn't it? That is, yeah. Let them feel like they're doing it. Yeah.
1: Um, but yeah, that 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 was great. Just being away, being coaching, but that was it was really surreal. Actually, like having been at so many British championships with him there, me being on the mat. And then this was only my second one of sort of being, well that like the seniors anyway, being on the being in the chair. Mm. So that that was a bit strange, but again, great having Tom there. we built into the the British universities, which was early the following year. I'm having a chat with Tom so, you know, if we get good momentum here, we're just gonna make sure we keep this going, keep the momentum going. And we've, you know, we've had a big change up in the in the coaching lineup in terms of the Players as well, which players were stepping out or due to be stepping out, we're, were having quite a big cha- sort of changing of the guard in what well, it was meant to be in, in 2020 in that year. So I was just aware of that. But we need to make sure that the team was together and the, the, the had to feel as though things were progressing and, and sort of build off that momentum. Um, and then it was sort of in the middle of lockdown. I remember Tom sort of bringing up and being like, You know when he said about losing that momentum? It's like, Yep, <laughs> no. <laughs>
0: That is hard though, isn't it? You just, it just stopped everything in its tracks. I don't think any of us could really appreciate how long it was going to go on for. Now, you boys done, um, you done some stuff online as well, didn't you? How did you find
1: that? Um, the stuff on Zoom, so you know, Tom's done a bit more for the Western area. I've done like a couple of sessions. Um, I found that a bit interesting. You know, I hadn't done anything like that before, so in terms of a like, coaching point of view, it was a good bit of problem solving like how do you teach judo without actually in the conventional sense Mm. and then the zoom stuff for the bga that was that was still all right you know we could still sort of set the cones and and whatnot and you know still practice on some footwork stuff and some movement but you're really limited i think you can only do that for a set amount of time and then you're actually going to run out ideas out out of ideas the really horrible bit (laughs) was uh The YouTube stuff, YouTube live stuff, because you couldn't see who was participating, so you couldn't actually give any feedback or do any like actual coaching. It was like I'm running a session here. I don't know who's participating. I don't know what level they're at. I don't know. I can't give them any feedback on what they're doing to actually improve them. It was that was really surreal at first. I remember doing it, like little earpiece, and saying, "Right, we're going to go silent, and then we'll be going on in." Thirty seconds,
0: and then start. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll not be doing that again. <laughs> Don't say that. Don't say that. Don't tempt it. I hope. Yeah, I mean, we done. Yeah, a year of it online uh, with our club. It was tough. It was tough. Um. So just now, what, what's your hopes now as a coach moving forwards? Where would you, you know, like to be in sort of five years
1: time? Um, my vision for Bath, what I really want to work on is, um, you know, being been actively recruiting, trying to make sure, you know, we're getting, you know, Bath's got a good name for judo within Britain, I'm sure of that. Um, but just making sure more of the younger players know about it. You know, make sure they know what the options are in terms of if you want to, you know, do if you want to study a certain kind of course and if you want to keep up your judo, Bath, Bath's an option. You know, like like two of the lads you were talking about that, that you taught that were coming over from Camberley, like, I remember like Luke giving us a heads up about it before they started. Like that was great. Just, you know, looking after the players, looking after them as a person and just being like, you still want to do judo. You want to study this, like this is an option for you. This could be the right fit for you. Mm. Uh, So definitely building relationships, keeping that going. Um, But I'd also like to see more satellite clubs built within schools, within Bath, because really like the schools in Bath, they're they're pretty untouched at the minute. Um, so what I'd like to say is the satellite clubs are there, but then the athletes are able to actually go in and teach. I'm sure other places have done it. I know companies done it a bit, where you've got the athletes going in and, and coaching the kids sessions. So it's helping them in a little bit of money to keep them in and help them survive. But I think it's also really beneficial for them. Put them in the driving seat, give them a bit of responsibility. You know, it's going to look good for them on the CV when they sort of transition out of competitive judo and in, into in sort of the real world. Um, I think that well, I think it's really beneficial that they can explain how the technique should work. it's sort mm-hmm. of reinforces what we're trying to do with them. It might be a bit more complex, but then they've got to try and feed that in a more simple way to like the kids that are just starting. So that's one side of it. Uh, the elite side, the full, the full time lot, um, get that momentum back. You know, I'm I'm in a really fortunate position that. I get the coach judo full time at the uni here. The uni, really look after the staff like, that looked after us during COVID. Um, and you know, I live like 15 minutes away. Like I, I envisage that I'm gonna be in Bath a very, very long time, just so I can try and have that sort of work-life balance, do a good job with full-time, but also you know, be there so I can be dad as well. Um but yeah, we, we've got we've got some good um got some good boys and girls that be pushing on for the Commonwealth whether it's next year or four years time and then we'll see what we can do for pushing through the the international stuff for what we can do with the world ranking lists and pushing for the games and whatnot.
0: Mm.
1: It's been proven it can be done. You know, we've got three, you know, Bath's got three players in qualification for the games currently. I'm touching wood, I'm touching everything that's wood at the office just to keep it that way. But um, it can be done. You know, other places in the country have proved it can be done. You know, Ash is still flying you know so yeah it'll, it'll be exciting to see what what sort of changes happen
0: yeah i think for me as well like one of the 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 reasons why i want to do this podcast is for just to like tell people there are options for you if you really want to consider trying judo as an avenue there are plenty of options whether it is cambly or but Bar- you know you can do it and you can still either get an education or get a career. And I think one of the things that I don't think is pushed enough for people who are, who are doing full time is actually earning money from teaching judo. And, Oh, when it, so, when I was full time, so at Cambly, like we would train, say, we trained from I don't know 10 till one, say, in the morning to afternoon. I would then go and I'd work at a golf club behind a bar from two till six. Then I'd come back, I'd teach a lesson, and then I'd do my training in the evening. And I'd do that from Monday to Friday. And what I very quickly worked out is actually, if I could get Three to five privates a week, private classes, private tuitions, I could cover that 20 hours of work that I was doing. You know, and then on weekends, if I weren't competing, I would be doing extra. So actually, if athletes got their level ones, got their level twos whilst they're still training, there is a market for them to, whether it's in schools, whether it's private tuition, whether it's and it will help them get better at judo rather than working in a golf club or cleaning or whatever it is for. Peanuts, basically.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, that, that's what I really want to push for, like you're saying, over the next five years. Um, Yeah, I just think there's so many benefits to it. And for us within Bath to sort of grow judo as a sport, you know, get the word out there within the city a little bit more. Create one pathway for the community club. And then, you know, we've had some players that have come through the community club that went and done Dice, or what was formerly called Ace, um, and then we've had one or two that have actually went full time, you know. So actually creating my own pathway, and bringing players in. I think getting the word out there that there is options. You know, like um, I know James Austin's been involved with Nottingham Uni for a few years now. That that's coming up more and more every year at um, British University Championships. You can see that it's getting more players there. Yeah, you know, But of if- Birmingham being there, like like you know Harriet Watt and Edinburgh Uni. They're, they're always showing up in strength, like. Okay, not every. you know. I remember Jurgen when he first came in at Bath and sort of sitting everyone down and saying, like, you know, not everyone can be the world or Olympic champion, but we do need partners. As a sport, we need partners, we need bodies on the mat. So if we can provide people more options and keep them in the sport and keep them training full time, part time, you know, if they're decent Randori partners, we need them. We need those people on the mat to help the ones that could do the whole job and could, could go the whole distance to help them achieve that.
0: But also, as well, it's not just the fact that you want them as bodies. It's the fact that they could still be a positive influence within judo. You're right. Not everybody's going to be Olympic or world champion, but they could be Olympic coach. They could be uh, an excellent nutritionist, but their passion is still judo, so they work involved. And I think when I speak to uh, lots of friends of mine um, that are in lots of different successful careers, they always go back and help their local rugby club because that's how they... You know, they grew, they grew up with rugby and they've still got that kinship with the sport. So there's no reason why that shouldn't be the same in judo. I think
1: with rugby, it's really well known that there's a massive social side to it. There's a massive social element to keep people within that sport. I think that's something some judo clubs are doing really well. They do a fantastic job of it. And, and you can see that in terms of how many players they're keeping on the mat. Other, other places I don't think aren't doing as good a job. So I think if we push for the social element and keep people in, especially when that age, you know, trying to limit that sort of post-16 dropout. Yeah, I think that there has to be more there than than just sort of going for medals to keep people involved in the sport. There has to be like opportunities to help out. Like you're saying, opportunities to like get some new experiences, go abroad on a training camp and a trip and just just enjoy being away on a little adventure. I think if more places, more clubs are able to do that, I think it's only going to benefit the sport in, in, in the long run.
0: Yeah, and I think that's basically Probably like a, a branding issue within judo as well. Like, because we just see judo as randori and fighting hard and stuff, there's so many aspects that there could be, you know, setting up nawasa classes, setting up, you know, all different things that you could do that would keep more people involved. Because not everybody wants to get their self thrown around the mat all the time, do they? So, well,
1: well even as like a compromise, even if there was like more or only competitions, hmm. you know, the high wickham runs, you know, I think they run like one or two a year. Um, I've done that a couple of times, taking when I was coaching the students' club here. So I was taking, you know, take everyone from Orange Belt right the way through. If they had like, like a club level downgrade, you know, whatever that means, but but taking them up there, taking the whole squad up there for the day, and it was just a different, different environment, different, just something different, but it was still judo, still judo related. I think there's more things like that. Um, I know there's been some work going on previously in the last sort of few years about trying to get like a club. Club league started up in the UK, that's great to see that that's happening. Hopefully, that grows and there's more opportunities for people to get involved.
0: Do you think that will see? I've not heard anything for a little while on that. Do you have you heard anything to say it's looking like it's possible?
1: Well, the, the East, uh, the eastern area they, they were running it after, um, there's no, it was normally around sort of August time, so I think it was like the eastern area. Like their the area competition, their sort of ranking event on one day. Then the following day, there was, um, was like the UK League or something like that. So it was, as a club, you could enter a team in and you had so many matches as a team on the day. And then off the back of that, they were building leagues, they were building divisions. So hopefully that keeps growing. Yeah, I, th- that... I think British Judo um, definitely
0: needs some sort of... That would be great, but I think you also need a club system surrounding it that, that could possibly... You know, cope with it.
1: Mm, yeah. But, you know, it. I think one hand feeds the other. If, if there's opportunities there for people to get involved, a bit, people to represent their club more regularly without necessarily having to do ranking tournaments where they feel that's a bit too much for them. Or if they know there's opportunities there, then that might pull more people into the sport. Mm. If in the sport, maybe those events will become more well attended. So I, I think you need both.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think. Um, I think, to be honest, competitions in general just need a bit of jazz and don't they? They just need a bit of life thrown into them.
1: Well, we're, we're, it's funny you mention that. We're, we're trying to work with the Western area, um, Team Bath, and we're trying to get the Western area open run at the the university here next year um, in the hope that we can put on good events in the big sports hall so not in the dojo but in the, in the big sports hall it's pretty massive as you come in on along the sort of the, the big causeway hmm. um two-day events ha- have the seating pulled out a bit a bit like what it is for the um super league netball matches so if anyone's watched the super league and uh, sort of team bath netball they might have an idea of, of what it looks like and sort of the atmosphere and get going in i'm there.
0: pretty sure nobody's watched that Right.
1: well they might do they might they might go away like, and watch it now. if
0: anybody's like yeah. right, please message me if you have watched it <laughs> to prove me yeah. wrong right but yeah i think that's just but, you adam
1: well I've, I've been to watch one or two matches before and the atmosphere is like it's genuinely great like people like getting just bums and seats people watching a sport that they don't understand um if we can do something like that for judo, like yeah we're gonna have a go at it anyway would you go in I'd- a
0: mascot would you wear like a mascot outfit
1: well, I'm, I'm toying with the idea of trying to get like a an old school v new school team match for team bath players. So have the old school players v the new school players.
0: I reckon you should do that and go in a mascot outfit.
1: Okay, I'll I'll do a mascot. We'll, but we'll, yeah, any any mascot designs that you have, send it to Vince. Look, he'll pass them on. We'll have a look at it. We'll see have you
0: we'll ha- have you seen have you seen the film Old School? Yes. Have you seen when he's in the mascot outfit and they go tries diving through the fire ring? That's what <laughs> I want to see. So anybody's not seeing it, it, it's so funny. It's with wheelfires that that's what I, in my head, that's what I'm picturing. You in there ready to go.
1: Getting second degree burns okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh good. No, yeah, no, I'd like to see that actually. Um yeah.
1: Well the, the hope is that we'll have the the juniors and like the under 21s and the seniors on the Saturday and then they can have a nice social Saturday evening. Uh, Sunday we'll have the pre-cadets and cadets and then Monday to Tuesday or Monday to Wednesday we'll actually run a training camp. Mm. Um, with In the summer the accommodation on, on campus should potentially be available to rent so we're going to try and put the offer out there and they invite to sort of um, foreign clubs so you can get some foreign clubs over and take part and just bring more bodies in. Yeah. You know, if, as a foreign club, if you're coming in for a tournament and a training camp, you're probably more likely to to come in and stay. Um, and then if we've got more foreign clubs coming in and foreign teams coming in, that I'm, I'm assuming that more people in the UK will sort of come along and Well, if it, if it looks like it's going to go
0: ahead, let me know and I don't mind obviously promoting it on here. Well, well this
1: this will be next July. So July 2022. Hmm. So we've got time
0: to... I'll have millions of listeners by then. So, you know, I'll be able to really spread the word.
1: <laughs> i'll be expecting an invite as well well we've got we've got nothing vip like we haven't got a vip booth i'll get you an invite but uh, i can't you know we haven't got that kind of budget Vince.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right brilliant, right adam i really appreciate your time mate it's been uh a joy to talk to you bud thanks a lot mate
1: no i appreciate it thanks for the invite uh, yeah hopefully see on the map not not too uh not too long definitely
0: And here we are, end of episode 14. Uh, Big thanks to Adam, actually. I think Adam's the first person who's actually brought a list and a timeline to the podcast, which was quite well. At least he's the first person to admit it if he's done that. So thanks, Adam. And I hope that helps anybody who sort of wondered about Bath, because there was lots of things. Although I trained at Bath um, and visited there through various uh, squad trainings, British squad trainings, and I've been there quite a bit. But there was a few things that I wasn't sure of, like, for example, do they train all year round or is it just that, you know, stupid stuff, really, that I most probably should have known if I was a little bit brighter, maybe. But, yeah, and it is interesting because I think definitely for me, university wouldn't have worked when I had left school. I just wasn't it wasn't something that i could focus on when i left school i just wanted to do judo and that's what i went and done but there's going to be lots of people um that will want to do training and education alongside i don't think it's a bad thing um and yeah hopefully that that got that helped you so i want to just talk about the world championships coming up and i love all major events i i love watching them I, when i can get out to see them like i was really pleased i managed to get out to the paris tournament before um we all went into like, sort of worldwide lockdown really before everything kicked off in what was it when Where was it 20 well what are we in now 20 yeah 2020 it must have been um the paris grand slam there so i was really happy to get out there but so we've got the world's coming up and I, I spoke to a few people now and Is there anybody who really thinks that the Olympics will go ahead? I just, I don't know. I just can't see how they're going to get it to work. Um, You know, and part of me wonders whether, you know, people like Sally decided to retire at that point. You You know, whether athletes now are sort of seeing that the Games might not go ahead, so this is a good time to stop or not. But just, it's not just the athletes. I mean, you can vaccinate the athletes. The athletes, you would imagine, would be fairly low risk anyway. But it's all the support staff, isn't it? You know, your doctors, your physios, um, people to carry bags, equipment, uh, your analysis, your coaches. And then once you're over on the other side, it's all of the volunteers that make a massive games happen. So, yeah, and at home, I think we're when I'm recording this, I think the cases were going up in Tokyo as well. I don't think they're that keen on it. So what do you think would be the answer? Would it be just canceling the games and um, us looking at Paris for the next one, or something like um, Olympic tournaments? Do you think that would work? So basically, like a world championships, it would hold the, the title of an Olympic tournament, Um, but it could be done in any country and all the different events would sort of run themselves because that's going on already. I just think the pure logistics of managing to run a a, a games like that would be just unbelievable. I mean, even when you think about the Commonwealth Games, that's next year, 2022. That's still going to take a lot of organising and nations from other, you know, other nations coming into your country, the risk factor, and some some nations like India are really struggling, you know, how how will they get out to these countries? Will they be able to? Or will there be you know, would countries turn around and say, Well, we're not gonna accept athletes from here? And then would the games be would everybody look at the games in the same way? Or so or there'd be a slight taint on it. I mean, don't get me wrong, like if I ever got to that games and won a medal for me, it would be exactly the same, but would it be regarded in the same light? But yeah, I wonder what you guys think. Do you think it's going to go ahead? Do you think they're going to struggle? Obviously, they're going to struggle. That's a stupid thing to say, but what's the answer? What is the answer to it? i I just thinking about the pure logistics of what goes into making a tournament work. One event, one tournament, to however many hundreds of events that go on at the Olympic Games. Yeah, sad, but I I don't know what the answer is really, um, but yeah, that's my uh, my little ramble at the end. I hope everybody's keeping well. Uh, please keep please keep sending the messages in. Please keep sharing the podcast; it really really helps. Actually, last week's podcast has the most views uh, within a week, or views. What am I talking about? Most listens within a week uh, by by quite far actually. Now, um, so big thanks to Cal for that yeah so keep sharing it if you've got any questions email me at vince at vince and next week i'm pretty sure i'm going to ask everybody who's listening for a favor so please make sure you tune in and please make sure you help me with this um but yeah anyway guys i hope you have a great weekend and i'll speak to you all very soon